book of 1 Peter is written, there are several main themes, but primarily the theme of 1 Peter is the theme of suffering and submission. Two things that are very difficult to do. We are born somewhat rebellious. We're born self-willed. We've got attitudes and actions that we want. We have angles and agendas that are very uh, self-fulfilling. But the book of 1 Peter, and I think Peter, in his time with the Lord Jesus, you can see he was very strong-willed. He had a very strong opinion about what he wanted and how he wanted it. He had no plans to suffer. Even when Jesus was found that he was going to suffer, he said, no, no, you're not. I'm not going to let that happen. And, of course, Jesus rebuked him and told him, just a few hours, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows tomorrow morning. He was a young a man who was used to eating shoe leather. <laughs> he put his foot in his mouth many times. But now he's older. He will eventually give his life for the Lord. He will be asked and be asked to be to lay across a cross and to give his life in, in the crucifixion. Before he goes to crucifixion, not the scriptures, but history books tell us that he says, listen, uh, don't hang me upright. Turn it upside down. I'm not worthy to, to be crucified in the same way as my Savior. And they turned the cross upside down. He was crucified upside down. But he was a very, very, for a fisherman, and foul mouth at sometimes at that, he had a deep love for the Lord. He was challenged because of his love. He, he was asked by Jesus, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter, at the end of his life, wrote the book of 1 Peter. Once again, suffering and submission. Oh, we can see other themes like the scriptures, salvation. Chapter 5, we see his admonition to shepherds who are going to lead God's people. But in chapter 4, he shares a few thoughts I want to share with our graduating class and those who are here this evening. If you direct your attention to chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says this. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, that he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past, our life may suffice to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, or live like the world. When we walk in lasciviousness, in lust, in excess of wine, reveling, partying, banqueting, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that were dead, are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch into prayer. And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourself. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Could you conclude with me in verse number 10? Everyone together, please. As every man hath 
Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the joy to address our graduates for a few moments and then our friends and loved ones. Give me wisdom. I do not want to spend a long time, but I would like to, whatever we have to say to be a reflection of what your word says and be obvious that we gave the sense. I pray you'd please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. He starts out this chapter and he says, for as much as Jesus suffered, arm yourselves that you're willing to suffer. I don't know about you, but wherever pain is, I want to be somewhere else. I oftentimes confess I'm allergic to pain. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to have a bad day. I want every day to be good days. I want every uh, week to be a great week. I want things to go good. I always want to be healthy. I always want to have a few bucks in my pocket. I always want to have friends and loved ones. I, love to, I want to be loved and cared about. But that's not the walk of the committed servant of Christ always. Oh, yes, John 10.10 tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you'd ask or think. Oh, he, he has great things in store for everyone who commits himself. The Bible tells us that I have not seen nor ear heard nor hath entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Our goal should be to love the Lord, to please him. But if you take that path, Peter, who had been there, done that, and bought a few t-shirts and the prisons and the persecutions, the rejections, the challenges that came with being a committed servant of Christ. He says, listen, just like Jesus suffered, you need to realize that your life is not about having a great time. It's not about hanging around and holding a Starbucks and an iPhone and looking for a door that they can put your name on. It's being a servant. It's going through some challenges. It's accepting some rejection. It's going through some long nights. It's working with people. It's, it's challenged with uh, many obstacles that may come. When I look at you, I look at health. But the truth of the matter is some of you are going to hear this. In your future, you have cancer. It doesn't look good. You're going to get a phone call. Dad's gone. Mom passed away. The church going through some challenging times. You've been fired. You're going to have some difficulties in your, in your future. Say, Pastor, I've had a wonderful life. Keep breathing. Difficulties are a part. I'm not here to discourage you. It just is what God's people say and what God tells us. He said, listen, arm yourself with the same mindset. I would challenge you as a servant of Christ, both in these black gowns and caps and, and tassels, as well as those in the balcony and teenagers and adults and pastors and, and colleagues in the ministry, every one of us ought to take on a little mentality and say, listen, it's going to hurt. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A work for God is not going to be done on spare time and pocket change. It's not going to be done with everybody just patting on, your, patting on the head all the time and tell you you're wonderful. It's going to be some difficulties. And I would just say to the class, according to this pastor, don't look for a life of ease. 
Look to do whatever God wants you to do with his power and his strength. Claim the verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Number two, I would say, the Bible says that he that has suffered has ceased from sin. Would you look at verse number two with me, if you would, please? It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time to the flesh, to the lust of man, but to the will of God. I would encourage you to reject, do not tolerate sin in your life. When sin is little, deal with it. The problem with little sins is they don't stay little. They grow to a place that it captivates and holds you. You play with sin, sin will eventually play with you. You got to go to the juggler with sin. Don't tolerate sin. And don't live your life for the lust of the flesh, whatever you want to do. Listen, you're servants of Christ. I thank God for every graduation across the world where graduates graduate. But I know you. And I know why we open Hiles Anderson College. It's not worth it to open it for any other reason than if you and I will arm ourselves with a challenge to do our hardness and to stay holy, Amen. to stay clean, Amen. not to live life for what you can get out of it, but live for what you can give. Amen. The second thing I would encourage you to do, the third thing is to, is to find the will of God for your life and do it. Someone said the happiest person in the world is someone who finds out what God wants them to do and they do it. Amen. Now, I can, I've only been breathing air for 53 years. I can't speak for everybody, but here's what I can say about our good God. When you give him a little, he blesses you a lot. Amen. When you look to him and when you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're always glad at the end. He's a wonderful God. Don't listen to Satan like he said to Eve, yea, hath God said, you're not going to die. You can't trust God. The most important thing about you and I is what comes to our mind when we think about God. Do you have faith in God? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe he's worthy of your trust? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We must believe that he is for salvation. We must believe that, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Number one, don't look for an easy life. Look for a life that is free, holy and pursuing the will of God. Number four, remember the judgment seat. The one who's going to judge the quick and dead. Someone said there's two days everyone ought to remember and think about. Today and that day when you stand before God. I think keeping an eternal focus thinking about what God is going to do, what he's doing, and what, what's life going to be like when I stand before him. Oh, would to God that I would think that way and you would as well. The Apostle Peter, as he addresses folks, he says, listen, don't look for an easy life. Stay away from sin. Don't try to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Find the will of God and do it. Remember the judgment seat of Christ. And then I want you to look, if you would please, at verse number seven. But the end of all things is at hand. I think what that means is that life is short. Jesus is coming again. I don't know if he'll do it tomorrow or if he comes in 2050. I don't know. But Peter lived as though the end of all things are at hand. Things are winding down. 
We have just a small parenthesis of life to make a dent for eternity. I think the difference between great Christians and average Christians, great servants of God and great missionaries and average missionaries and great pastors and average pastors, great staff members and great deacons and average deacons and great servants of the Lord that serve the Lord and those who are average could be summed up in one word, urgency. Urgency. What you cannot do with energy, you and I ought to do with urgency. What to be thinking, what does God want me to do? The Bible says, go to ye that say today or tomorrow, we'll go into this city and we'll go here and buy and sell and get gain. gain. What? Don't you know that your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then you have a teapot or a coffee cup and you see the vapor come off of it. The difference between you and I and the people that uh, have been laid to rest last week in cemeteries all over this region and the world is that you're still in your vapor. Their vapor's done. He says, the end of all things are at hand. I would just encourage you, remember, you have but one day. Today is the first day of the rest of your life to please the Lord and honor him. Don't forget it. This is not a conclusion of your education. It's a, it's a commencement. You're starting. You're going to continue. Be excited about it, but remember that time is short. And then he says, because of that, verse 7, he says, be sober, be purposeful, and watch into prayer. I think another thing that's very valuable to the work of God and to each of you is that you realize your purpose. What are you supposed to accomplish? What does God want from you? Um, a person, the, the word sober in the Bible means with purpose. Opposite of someone who's intoxicated. Someone who's intoxicated with drugs or alcohol, they, they don't, they can't put two sentences together. They don't know what's, what, really what they're supposed to be doing. They're confused. You should not be confused. You should be purposeful and you should be prayerful. I do believe that through prayer, and I know this is something that Dr. Douglas helped us greatly on. But you're not going to have Dr. Douglas. You're not going to walk the halls of houses. You're not going to be called the moving mountain prayer meeting again. So you might want to pray yourself because it's in prayer that you'll find passion and vision. He said, I want you to be sober. I want you to be prayerful. And then he says in verse number eight, above all things have fervent charity among yourself. The pristine attribute of God's people is that they know how to love. They have charity. Young people, let me encourage you to love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. May wherever you go, whatever arenas that you run about, whatever people you influence, may people say, that young lady loves Christ. That man loves Christ. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Everybody knows it. You don't have to go tell people that. They know it. He said, because charity will cover a multitude of sins. And then he says, use hospitality and don't do it grudgingly. And this speaks of giving. Someone says, you make a life by what you get, but you, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by how you give. So remind you, be a, be a channel, not a can. Be a funnel, not a bucket. Decide that you're going to be a giver, that you're going to grow in your giving. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
Now you, that you may have good attributes in many areas, but grow in this grace of giving also. I've had the opportunity, my next funeral will be my 485th time that I've stood at a graveside memorial service or a casket. And I've had the opportunity to preach funerals for people who are very famous and others who are very well or maybe unknown. I went to one funeral one time where no one came but me and the dead person. He was a teacher at Long Beach State University, the beautiful cherrywood casket, whole stack of invitations, probably about 48 roses on top of it, and I was the only person that came to his funeral. And I think the difference oftentimes happens sometimes is because we do not learn to give. We just are like the Dead Sea. We take, we take, we take. We want more, but there's no outlet. Learn to give. The graduates of Hiles Anderson College and every servant of God ought to be known for their generosity, of their time, of their talents, of their treasures. And let's do that. And then when you get to do it, don't grudge it. Don't be like, oh, man, I'm just killing the big one. No, no. It's the least we can do. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the, if God's so good to us, we ought to give ourselves to him. The last thing is verse number 10. Read it again with me. Everyone who has a Bible, would you read it again with me? As every man hath received the gift, same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold. I want to challenge you, 2020 graduate, and any servant of God. There's very few things more frustrating to me than to see someone who is gifted waste their gift. Somebody who has been given something and they just leave it. You give someone something that's a bike or something that's special and they just disdain it. They just leave it in the yard. Someone who has special gifts and they waste them. Young people, whatever it is that God has for your future, Know this, God loves you, and you are gifted. Unwrap your gift and use your gift for the blessings of those around you and for the glory of a God who loves you and gave it to you. It's a wonderful thing to take the little things that God gives us and to use them for his glory. Whatever you do with your future, whatever it may be that Whatever venue, whether it be a classroom or where, if it be a mission field, whether it be helping a husband or leading a song or leading a youth group or pastoring a church, whatever's in your future, use your gifts. Don't waste them. A man's gift, the Bible says, make it room for him. It gives you opportunities to do things. And a gift, a person who gets a gift doesn't, doesn't say, yeah, well, I, I got this tie. It was a gift. When someone says, oh, nice tie, I don't say, well, thank you. I made it myself. No. It reflects the person who gave it to me. It's something I was given. When you are given a gift, use it for the glory of God. I wish I could say that every college graduate who walked in these doors and those doors and across the street used their gift. Unfortunately, many of them have wasted them. 
Make sure you're not in that group. Make sure that you're willing to go through difficult times. You're going to keep yourself clean. You're not going to live life for you. You'll remember the judgment seat of Christ. You'll remember your purpose. You'll remember prayer. You'll learn to be sober in giving. Have an obvious known for love. And then use the gift that God's given you. Before I close tonight, I do not know everybody that's here, but I do know this. Every mass of people, there are two groups. Those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who have eternal life and those who do not. I have a little booklet that we love to give to any guest. It's called Saved or Lost. And it's a story of the Titanic and that beautiful vessel that someone said while it was in port in London, it's a vessel even God couldn't sink. Well, it sank. But while it was making its way across the Atlantic, some people, they stayed in the penthouses and the beautiful things overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. They had the decks. They had the opportunities in the balconies. They had the best of food delivered to their room. They were welcome at the, at the ballrooms. Others of them, they just had a backpack and they made their bed on the steel in the bottom of the steerage, in bottom lower belly of the, of the, of the uh, boat. But when that ship sank in the Atlantic, cold waters of the Atlantic, when it was all said and done, it wasn't the rich and the poor. It wasn't the talented and the simple. It was the saved and the lost. You know, it's not hard to go to heaven. It's not hard to have your sins forgiven. God did all of the work. You can't earn your way to heaven. If we could earn our way to heaven, then why would Jesus have to die on the cross? No, the only way we can have eternal life is if someone innocent dies for us, the guilty. The very best day of my life, someone asked me a hard question. They said, John, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? I didn't know. But because I didn't know, they offered to show me from the Bible how I could know. How I could know for sure that I would go into eternity, not with my sin, but with God's Son. There's a wonderful verse in the Bible. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And that life is the eternal life. Well, that night someone took the Bible and showed me, number one, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Number two, I deserve to be separated from God. See, one thing about God, he's holy. I'm not. You're not. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You know what death does? It does not annihilate someone, it separates them. When someone dies, their body stays, their soul leaves. And there's a separation there. That's the first death. That's going to happen to me one day. It's going to happen to you. But the eternal death, is to be separated from God in the place God calls the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, we're at a graduation. Why would you mention that? I mention it because God does. He doesn't close the Bible without telling us 
that there is a lake of fire. It's the second death, and it can be avoided. God loves you. We're sinners. We deserve to be separated from him forever in the lake of fire. But God loves us, and he did all that was needed to be done so we could be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus, the innocent, died for us, the guilty. He was buried, he rose again, and by doing that, he gave us eternal life. You've got a gift to serve the Lord, but the most important thing about every one of us is have, do we have God's gift of eternal life? Has there been a moment in time? You know, when you meet a popular person, you usually remember where you were. You may not know the date on the calendar or the hour on the clock, but anytime we meet someone famous, we know where we were. When did you meet Jesus? When did you accept him as your savior? If we were to talk one-on-one, -on -one, could you tell me when it was? When, do you have Jesus? You're either gonna go into eternity with your sin or with God's son, and if you have God's son, it's not hard. He did all the work. He died. He was buried and rose again. And he said that anyone who would believe on Jesus, they could have everlasting life. It's a wonderful day for these 89 young people who have received their degrees. But it could be even a better day. This degree is going to hang in their offices or their houses for a while. It'll eventually be put in a box and sold at a garage sale. In time to come, it's, it's a corruptible crown. It, is, it represents time, and it doesn't give you an education, but it does give you some credibility. Someone beside yourself said you finished something. And we commend you. But there's something far more important, and that is, will you spend eternity in heaven? A hundred years from now, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where we live, with God in heaven or without him in the lake of fire. And the only thing that can answer that question is, did you accept the gift of eternal life? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Use your gift, but make sure you've accepted the gift of eternal life.